tonight, honoring the missing children. So many children gone. So much possibility gone. And looking ahead to a very different future on this, the one-year anniversary of the revelation of suspected unmarked graves at a Kamloops residential school. Plus, murder in South Vancouver. Well, it's a wild place, you know. It's uh, a lot of young people early in the morning. A 19-year-old is stabbed outside a nightclub. And man versus car? I was in shock. Like, I was terrified. Dude! The incident that has police investigating this driver. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Remembering those we lost. This is about gathering and reflecting on where we are and mostly where we need to go all together. To all the elders who took moments to give me wonderful warm hugs and welcome me, thank you. Um, to those who are still filled with hurt and anger, I hear that as well. I know that is real. And I know we have a lot of work together to do as a country, as individuals, as communities. Good evening, I'm Colleen Christie. Sophie and Chris are off tonight. The Prime Minister speaking about an hour ago at the Dukumlips to Shwetmuk Powwow Arbor, the site of a day-long memorial for the missing children believed to be in buried in unmarked graves at the former Kamloops Indian Residential School site. The existence of those burials was announced to the community one year ago today. And a warning, this story may be triggering to some of you. Nitu Garcha joins us live from the memorial. And Nitu, the goal of today is about healing. That's right, Colleen, and expressing gratitude to many of those who've helped hold this community up over the past year. This powwow arbor is exactly where members of the community came to grieve this time last year. And I heard from one survivor today who said nothing can take her pain away and what was stolen from her. But there is a sense of optimism. I'm sure you can hear the music behind me. There is dancing. There is singing. It's a much different mood than it was this time last year. And certainly there's more of a sense of hope. After a year spent grieving and processing hundreds gathering at the sacred powwow arbor to honor the children whose lives were taken after being forced into the Kamloops Indian Residential School. Because I knew how to read, they had me, you know, reading the, the Bible to the everybody in, in the church. And I was probably maybe about nine. Three generations of Colleen Jacobs' family were sent here. She says the relentless assimilation demanded by the institution tore her family apart. My brother and I were separated. I also remember always having to line up. And maybe that's why I don't like lineups. But now some survivors like her say the sounds of the songs they tried to eradicate are being heard more loudly a year after the announcement that changed the country's understanding of its own history. This has been a very dark chapter in our history and we need to rebuild our relationships at every single level. It shouldn't have taken that long, but finally people know. And knowing has transformed this community. For Jacob, this day is about healing and having hope for younger generations. It is a, uh, a new time 
and I think it's time for us to start building up our young people, but they also need to know the truth. What they went through trickled down to me. For 19-year-old Shelby Sims, the impact is through Indigenous child welfare, what many call the modern-day residential school system. I just want to be with my culture. I want to connect with my people. She suffers from fetal alcohol syndrome, like her mother, who was deemed unfit to care for her. So Sims was raised by her grandparents from birth and says because of their own traumas, they denied her access to her Indigenous heritage. I cannot sing, I cannot drum, I cannot dance, but I will stand and I will be there and I'll be present for them. As she attends an event meant to foster hope for a better future, her story is an example of how the impact of the systemic erasure of Indigenous culture continues today. Was, it was hoped that the Pope would visit the community this summer, but Kamloops is not on his itinerary. However, as we just saw, Canada's first Indigenous Governor General, Mary Simon, is there today. That's right, Colleen. Cookie Roseanne Casimir did express her disappointment here today that the pontiff's schedule for his summer visit to Canada does not include BC or a stop into Kamloops to Schwetmik. But as survivors and community members, all levels of government and Canada's first Indigenous Governor General gather here today. She said she's reminded of the great work this community has done in building relationships and she looks forward to working with non-Indigenous levels of government and holding them accountable to action. Colleen? Nitu Garcha live in Kamloops tonight. Nitu, thank you. There is support available for residential school survivors and their families. The 24-hour toll-free number is 1-800-721-0066, and you can speak in confidence. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau released a statement on the anniversary of the Komagata Maru incident. In 1914, more than 300 Sikhs, Hindus and Muslims sailed from British India to Vancouver's harbour. Many of the passengers were hoping to escape poverty and settle into a better life in Canada. But due to what Trudeau calls racist laws, most of those passengers were refused entry. They were forced to travel back to India, where some were killed or imprisoned. Trudeau says Canada will never forget the pain and suffering of the survivors in, quote, shameful events of the federal government. In this institution. Vancouver police are investigating the city's fifth homicide of the year, the stabbing death of a 19-year-old man. As Grace Key reports, it happened early this morning outside a nightclub. This was the scene early Monday morning of a stabbing that left a 19-year-old man dead and a 24-year-old in custody. One witness, on his way to work, saw a large crowd gathering. And I arrived here at 4 o'clock in the morning. And the intersection here was completely blocked with emergency vehicles. And I noticed one of the ambulances, they were actually doing ch chest compressions on the victim they were loading. Police say a fight broke out between two large groups near Southwest Marine Drive and Hudson Street about 3.30 in the morning, just outside the Gallery nightclub. Officers found a 19-year-old man suffering from stab wounds. He later died in hospital. Witnesses say when police arrived, many started scattering. Others pointed out the direction the suspect ran off to. Right here, a knife. And it was like, um, you know, a bigger knife, that uh, not a switchblade, but something that would fold into, it was a folding knife that would fold into a handle. One witness says a bloody folding knife was found on the ground at the transit employee parking lot, right next to a couple of security cameras. I was talking to one of the police officers who was searching in the bushes for a, for a weapon. And uh, he turned around and then we noticed that there was a, a knife just lying on the ground uh, in the pavement.
The police union tweeted out the incident was a reminder of the risks members face every day. While performing life-saving efforts to save this young man's life, members were attacked by this unruly crowd. This is completely unacceptable. It's unclear if the two were in the nightclub earlier. Neighbors say they've complained frequently to police and the city about the noise and unruly behavior from patrons. A statement from police reading, This incident happened close to a nearby nightclub at closing time. We know there were a lot of people who saw what happened this morning, and we need them to call police. Anyone with information is asked to call VPD's major crime section. Grace Key, Global News. Vancouver police are investigating a disturbing beating that reflects what some call a sad state of affairs downtown. A vicious fight broke out at around 3.30 this morning near Granville and Davie, with one man getting kicked as he laid on the sidewalk. Police say the fight started between two men, but then others got involved. One man was taken to hospital with what police call minor injuries. No arrests have been made. Incidents like this have some people saying they're avoiding the area after dark. A Wally neighborhood remains on edge tonight after police say an intruder broke into a woman's home and sexually assaulted her. It happened at around 6.40 Saturday morning in the 12900 block of 101A Avenue. A woman reported she'd been sexually assaulted by a stranger who broke into her home. Surrey RCMP's Special Victims Unit is now investigating the alleged victim was treated in hospital for what are described as non-life-threatening injuries. Neighbors say they saw more than a dozen police vehicles in the area for hours after the incident. It was very unusual. We knew something something very wrong happened. Uh, we saw the, uh, the cop dog searching, searching the alley, searching the side of the house, around the house. There was always a police presence outside until probably about 8 p.m. I noticed the forensics unit came at about 4 o'clock. Last night I was definitely felt on edge. The suspect is described as a man in his mid-30s, 5 feet 6 inches tall and wearing dark clothing. Investigators would like to hear from anyone who has surveillance or dash cam footage from the area on the morning of May 21st. It just might be some of the strangest video we've seen in a while. What looks like a man attempting to stop this moving vehicle on Kingsway in Vancouver. What we're learning about how this incident began and why police want to talk to the driver in just over a minute. Still to come, why some in southern Ontario may be without power for days following a deadly storm there. And how baby formula panic buying may be stripping store shelves here. Those stories coming up on the news hour. Vancouver police are investigating a disturbing video that raises new questions about pedestrian safety on our streets. At a busy intersection in East Vancouver, a pedestrian was hit last week in a marked crosswalk. Romina Dea joins us now. And Romina, we understand his injuries are minor, but it's what happened next that left him shaken. Mike suffered a minor injury to his knee, but he said coming back here was surreal. He was hit in the crosswalk at 7th Avenue and Kingsway on Thursday around 1 p.m. He said the driver was refusing to back down. Dude! Mike's gut instinct to put his hands on the hood to stop the driver from taking off. But he keeps accelerating, says the victim. I'm just shaking, coming to this crosswalk. Feelings of anxiety surface as Mike returns to the scene to tell us his story. I needed to get his information after getting hit because I was just not okay with that. 
But that's when he started accelerating. I had to back step all down the block to avoid getting pulled underneath the vehicle. I was in shock, like I was terrified. Kate Metten across the street when she hits record. We heard it and looked up and saw the car bouncing off of him. And then he froze in shock and said, like, I need your information. The driver was yelling at him aggressively to get out of the way. The victim, witness, and many more in the neighborhood tell us this is an extremely dangerous intersection. Every single day I witness a near miss of someone getting hit at this crosswalk. Often, I've seen like at least six or seven people get hit by cars here. Michelle Hanley says she and her colleagues have written the city of Vancouver multiple times, asking for crossing lights. The response, it's essentially not a priority, says Hanley. I think it's honestly just a matter of time before someone gets seriously injured or dies. Despite the chaos of the moment, Mike says he captured the driver's image and license plate number. What do you want to say to the driver if he's watching this? Take some deep breaths, do some yoga, take a nap, try and relax. Vancouver police tell us the investigation continues. And at this point, it's really too early to say what potential charges could be recommended. Colleen. Romina, thank you. This weekend and the Victoria Day Parade mark the unofficial start of summer. After two bleak years, we get the forecast for the tourism season ahead next. And McCallum conflict, exclusive new details about what led to public mischief charges against Surrey's mayor. This May, join me for the BC Cancer Foundation's Workout to Conquer Cancer. Sign up on your own or as a team. And let's move every day this May and help change cancer outcomes. Register today at workouttoconquercancer.ca. On Thursday, former B.C. legislative clerk Craig James was convicted of one count of fraud and breach of trust under $5,000 over clothing purchases. James was found not guilty on breach of trust charges over a retirement fund of more than $250,000 and the purchase of a wood splitter. The Speaker of the Day blew the whistle in 2018 on what he called inappropriate spending. Well, today, for the first time, Daryl Plekis broke his silence, speaking to CKNW's Jazz Joe Hall. This wasn't just about a criminal trial. This was about a public official, somebody in a very high office, the most senior office at the legislature, spending money inappropriately, receiving money inappropriately. And I'm reminded again that whilst the judge found him not guilty of those things, she by no means said that everything he did was right. Plekis also said he hopes changes made at the legislature after this case will be helpful, but is concerned there isn't enough protection for whistleblowers. He describes the experience as a four-year ride. For the past three days, we've been reporting details from court documents about what led to the public mischief charges against Surrey's mayor. Many have been asking how Doug McCallum can remain the chair of the Surrey Police Service Board, and tonight we're learning there have been questions. Catherine Urquhart has more details, and they are exclusive. This is the time for council to hear. Doug McCallum is charged with public mischief and remains mayor of Surrey. He also remains chair of the Surrey Police Board. For now, 
Sources have told Global News that after Doug McCallum was charged criminally in December, the Surrey Police Board asked him to step aside as chair. We're told that McCallum refused. We requested comment from the Surrey Police Board and were told, due to confidentiality, I unfortunately cannot comment on matters that are discussed in camera. This is the part that hurts more and more. It's in September, McCallum claimed he had been hit by a car driven by Debbie Johnstone. She was interviewed by police who told her she was being investigated for assault with a weapon and criminal harassment. I understand this has been a pretty tough time for Debbie Johnstone as well. Yes, it has. And, um, you know, all credit to her. I, I think she's been to hell and back and has shown great strength of character, sticking to her guns, not being intimidated. In a statement, Johnstone told Global News in part, My name is Debbie Johnstone. I am the victim that Mr. McCallum falsely accused September 4th. I remain steadfast in my original statement of innocence. I'm unable to comment further at this time. Information to obtain documents unsealed Friday following a Global News court challenge state in part, McCallum provided a version of events that has been partially disproved based on the statement provided by Debbie Johnstone and the video surveillance obtained from Save on Foods. Also, McCallum said in a statement that he was pinned up against his vehicle. The video surveillance shows McCallum was not pinned up against a vehicle. McCallum said in his statement that after his foot was run over, he walked over limping. Surveillance video shows him walking in the same manner that he was walking prior to the incident. A search warrant secured McCallum's running shoes and there were production orders for his medical records, x-rays, for surveillance video from Save on Foods and Peace Arch Hospital, along with media interviews. Resigned from the police board, resigned, stepped down as mayor until this matter is dealt with before the courts. I think the people in Surrey deserve better. For now, Doug McCallum remains mayor of Surrey and chair of the Surrey Police Board. His legal bills paid by Surrey taxpayers. And he's not commenting, citing his October 31st trial. None of the allegations have been proven in court. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. The May long weekend is the unofficial kickoff to summer and the warm weather this past weekend made it feel like we're heading in the right direction at least. Many people were out and about and tourism operators are hopeful this weekend was just the start of a busy season. Richard Sussman has more. Victoria Day long weekend comes with this moniker, the unofficial start to summer. And for a tourism sector crippled by COVID, it marks the unofficial return to normal. And the next bus will come and pick you up after an hour. The Victoria Day Parade back for the first time in the capital since 2019, leading to more people on the streets and on the water. I'm optimistic we're going to have more tourists this summer. Operators, big and small, have been struggling to stay afloat for two plus years. The May long weekend has shifted the tide, with the hope big waves of visitors will be on the horizon. And it's starting to feel alive again, which is the first time since, you know, 2019. So positive. But uh, we could do it more. But the big boost in horsepower the sector needs is from international visits, who on average spend significantly more in this province than local visitors. It will provide Victoria with a healthy workforce again um, and happy. 
As more tourists bring some people back to work, it also means there's higher demand for workers. And this is where the industry wants the province to step in. We certainly are doing our best, working with our partners, whether that's Whistler, whether that's uh, the different associations, to get people trained up to take those employment opportunities. Record-breaking gas prices have slowed some domestic travel, but travelers are still lining up for the chance to experience something new. This is our first time in two years that we're yeah. traveling. And yeah. we've, been here, we're, we've been here a week now, and we've done everything in Victoria you can imagine. A busy weekend, leaving operators to imagine themselves how great a whole summer of this would be. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. A cross-border crisis that may be spreading. Why a shortage of baby formula in some stores here? Maybe the result of panic buying. And the first Russian soldier convicted of war crimes in Ukraine is sentenced as Ukraine's president addresses a global economic forum. Those stories next. Over the last several days, Moscow has carried out a more aggressive approach to its offensive in eastern Ukraine. That's leading to renewed calls from Kyiv for the world to do more to hold Russia accountable. The move comes as more Western corporations begin to wind down operations in the country. Global's Reggie Cicchini has the latest. The battle in eastern Ukraine continues to be driven by Western weapons as the country finds itself once again in a fierce battle through the Donbass region, as Russian forces say their special military operation continues. Well, in northeastern Ukraine, the city of Kharkiv was again made a bullseye as cluster munitions fell from the sky. We woke up feeling it was the end of the world, this resident says. For Ukrainians, this battle, while unwanted and deadly, has highlighted its strength on the front lines and its ability to seek justice for the fallen. A 21-year-old Russian soldier becoming a symbolic first, found guilty of killing a civilian in February. He's assigned a life sentence, this judge says. The Kremlin says it's concerned for the soldier's fate, but it's unclear if that will slow its war machine. One that's front and center at a global economic forum where Ukraine's president urged world leaders to not allow indecisiveness to slow momentum on sanctions. There's disagreement, especially around ending gas reliance. Solutions first and then sanctions afterwards. With geopolitical conversations running in circles, more companies are taking action, walking away from what's become a pariah nation. McDonald's is pulling its signage down while Starbucks prepares to withdraw. This war now making it harder for Russians to get fast food, but also for some countries to get any food, with the UN pleading for the reopening of the port in Odessa. It's a perfect storm within a perfect storm. We've got to get those silos full again, but they can't get the silos empty unless we get the ships flowing. An almost impossible task amid a relentless assault with the cost being the most precious commodity. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. Hundreds of Ukrainian refugees are now safe in Canada after touching down in Winnipeg this afternoon. They received a warm welcome to start their new lives on Canadian soil. Global's Marnie Blunt has more. A range of emotions here at the Winnipeg airport and for some perhaps a sense of relief as 350 Ukrainian refugees land in the province fleeing the violence in their war-torn country. A warm welcome, happy tears and smiles as they walked through the airport gates, many anxiously waiting to see their loved ones safe and sound for the first time in months. 
I'm so proud of her that she made this trip. She escaped from Kiev uh, exactly during the period the most active uh, fighting uh, in surrounding most active shelling. This is like the second part of our family yeah. we are waiting for. And we are happy and we're gonna be more happy now because <laughs> like all the family will be with us and we will know that they're safe. Many emotional as they make a new start in Canada. A bit tough situation, of course, uh, because there is nowhere to come back right now. But uh, we are so happy to be here because like we were dreamed to came to Canada and live there. So it's a great opportunity for us. The group was greeted by volunteers, Manitoba Premier Heather Stephenson and Foreign Affairs Minister Christian Freeland. The Ukrainian-Canadian Congress says they have all been working hard since April 15th to plan for this arrival, setting up a reception centre for families in the city and ensuring they have access to supports and services to help start their new life. They also say about a third of the people arriving Monday are children. The Ukrainian-Canadian Congress says they've already helped more than 400 refugees relocate in addition to this group, and they hope that this will be the first of many planes to land safe on Canadian soil for people seeking refuge from a dire and deadly war. Marnie Blunt, Global News. A nine-hour charity concert was held on Saturday in Kelowna's Waterfront Park to support Ukraine and the plight of Ukrainians, and it raised more than $10,000. It brought out a number of local performers and vendors doing their part to support the war-ravaged country. Proceeds will go towards humanitarian aid and to support refugees who have arrived in the Kelowna area. By the end of this month, there'll be some 60 Ukrainian refugee families living in central Okanagan. The owners of the Quayout Lodge on Little Shushwap Lake are vowing to rebuild after a devastating weekend fire. The lodge remains closed after flames tore through the guest wing Sunday morning. Everyone managed to get out safely, though some guests lost significant belongings in the fire. The Little Shushwap Lake Band calls the fire a traumatic incident for the community. The lodge is an economic driver and the cultural heart of the community. It remains closed while investigators try to figure out how the fire started. The baby formula shortage in the U.S. continues to spill over into Canada. As Kylie Stanton reports, many Canadian parents are finding empty shelves, possibly caused by panic buying. As an Air Force cargo plane touches down in the U.S. with 39 tons of formula, parents there can only hope relief is on the way. We're going to be seeing deliveries made in a matter of days. But the shortage of formula specifically meant for babies at risk of severe allergic reactions has now made its way to Canada. Really is just affecting all brands in, in most stores. It, it's the same scenario that we saw probably about two, three weeks ago in America. It's all linked to the recall that led to the voluntary closure of the Abbott Laboratories plant in Michigan, which manufactures Similac and Elementum forcing families who rely on it to look at other options. I mean, if you're a parent, you know exactly what to do. You'll do whatever you need to do in order to get uh, food for your infant. The result appears to be panic buying. 
and not just the allergy-friendly options. On social media, people are posting photos of empty shelves, asking, do you guys think this is because I went on a Sunday evening or they're out long-term? If anyone sees regular Kirkland formula in Abbotsford tomorrow, please comment. While others are searching out the brands that are in especially low supply, writing, if you've seen it on Vancouver Island, please let me know so I can go and pick some up and send it to the U.S. We're literally on our last can. Canada has a formula plant in Kingston, Ontario, but everything manufactured there is shipped overseas and it's months away from producing a domestic supply. Health Canada confirmed the countrywide shortage Thursday. In a statement, it acknowledged the severity of the situation, writing, if additional safety or supply information is identified, Health Canada will take appropriate action and inform Canadians as needed. But some stores are a step ahead, placing limits on the number of units that can be purchased per visit. The plant is expected to resume production in two weeks' time. We should get back to normal within the month or so, if... The plant reopens. Kylie Stanton, Global News. There are still no confirmed cases of monkeypox in B.C., but Toronto Public Health is investigating that city's first suspected case. Officials say people who attended an event at the Axis Club on May 14th or were at Woody's Bar May 13th or 14th may have been exposed to the disease. The suspected positive case involves a man in his 40s who had contact with someone who recently traveled to Montreal. A number of cases have been confirmed in Quebec. Officials say it's important to be aware of possible exposure, but experts say the risk to the public is quite low. I just want, you know, want to reassure people that it's not a disease that's very easily transmitted and we're not seeing very severe cases, but we do want people to be on the lookout for symptoms and, and seek medical attention if they develop any. Monkeypox symptoms include fever, headache, muscle pain and swollen lymph nodes. After three days, a rash can develop on the face, which then spreads to other parts of the body. Symptoms usually appear 7 to 14 days after exposure, but it can take up to 21 days. When we come back, the forecast for the week ahead and why this baby moose had to be rescued today in the B.C. interior. And later, hard to believe it's been 35 years since the Man in Motion tour ended. The anniversary celebration coming up. Attention, need the latest info on budgeting, personal finances, taxes, affordability, or any other money issues in this pricey province? Then get informed. Andrua examines Consumer Matters on Global News. This May, join me for the BC Cancer Foundation's Workout to Conquer Cancer. Sign up on your own or as a team, and let's move every day this May and help change cancer outcomes. Register today at workouttoconquercancer.ca. A deadly storm in Ontario and Quebec over the weekend has claimed at least nine lives. It happened Saturday, tearing a path of destruction. And as Global's, Global's Morgan Campbell reports, while the community rallies, some will be without power for quite a while. This is what community is all about. Neighbours helping neighbours in time of need. People from out in the country have come with their machines and stuff. and they, they came Saturday night after the storm. And now look at this. All my neighbours are helping. It's wonderful. Cleanup is well underway in the town of just 2100, where a state of emergency was declared Saturday. 
after a harsh thunderstorm ripped through the area, leaving a path of destruction in its wake. Thank you. Premier Doug Ford toured the damage in Uxbridge Monday. This is uh, you know, one once-in-a-lifetime storm like this that came through Ontario. Mayor Dave Barton says the province has offered financial support to the town. With this type of disaster, we're going to need all the help we can get. So far, more than 35 buildings are being assessed to see if they can be saved. Many of them historic sites like the United Church on First Avenue. Some residential areas were peppered with damage. My mom lost her car, stepdad lost his car, all our bathroom windows are blown out and I just kept people in the beer store safe. We locked the doors and kept everybody inside. We had kids in there with their parents. In Musselman's Lake, about 20 kilometers west of Uxbridge, many are working to clear out the damage left behind. Power lines everywhere. There was a car here earlier wrapped in, in power lines. Um, it, was, it, was, it was scary. Just something you, you never really expect to happen here. Yvonne joins us now with a look at our forecast. Horrible for those folks blessed with a fairly decent weekend. Yeah, most days out of the weekend, we've actually had some sunshine, temperatures warmed up across the region, and we are going to see some leading into early next week. I'll have your back to work and school forecast coming up in just a moment. We're currently sitting at 16 degrees. We've got some breaks out there. Southwesterly wind at 15, a few spots this evening. Closer to the water, though, could still see those winds with gusts of up to 40 kilometers per hour. I spotted a few isolated showers just across the island. That'll increase, though, through the day for tomorrow. It's just in behind. This is the next weather maker that we're going to be tracking that will move in across the region and still for the early evening hours the southern interior and southeastern corners of the province could still see the chance for some showers and the risk of thunderstorms overnight tonight we're down to seven degrees we've actually got a bright start to the morning it'll be an increase in cloud cover as we get closer towards the noon hour and then mainly cloudy but still remaining dry tomorrow with highs up to 16 degrees here's the weather maker that is going to move in as we get in towards the afternoon and evening hours most spots across the island will see that increase in showers and for Metro Vancouver by tomorrow night, we'll see a greater chance for some showers and taking us in towards our Wednesday morning. So on and off, but a few breaks in there as well. Areas along the north coast, temperatures will be bumping up to 11 degrees. Central coast, however, it'll be periods of rain and heavy at times through the day. The instability for the northeastern corners will give that risk of a thunderstorm, increase in cloud cover for the central interior, but it should remain dry. A few spots into the southern interior have just often a 30% chance of a shower. It'll be a touch cooler. Temperatures anywhere between 18 and up to 20 degrees. And areas near Whistler for tomorrow will hang on to a chance of showers through the day and continuing in towards the evening. More cloud cover and showers rolling in for the afternoon across the island. Metro Vancouver will see that greater chance for some showers as we get in towards tomorrow night. Wednesday, a few breaks in there. The heavier rainfall for Thursday and leading in towards our Friday so far. But anticipate a few breaks for Metro Vancouver through the day. All right, tonight's weather window. This is a fantastic shot. This is at Spencer Peak, captured by Adam, and that's in the Fraser Valley. Colleen? Thank you so much, Yvonne. Oh, that is beautiful. A wild but warm incident in the B.C. interior this morning was caught on camera. Have a look at this. Sam and Tara Grant came across a baby moose stuck in a fence in Bridge Lake. That's between Little Fort and Hundred Mile House. Mama Moose was in the field, but couldn't. But the baby couldn't get free. Well, then Mama watched as Sam went into the bush and pulled the calf out. We are very happy to report the little one trotted off and joined its mom. Aww. That is a great story. It's very sweet. That is a great story. And he's lucky that Mama Moose was far, far enough away because... That's right. Probably not happy That's about right. him messing with yeah. the baby. They take out vehicles. Oh, yeah. Yes, they do. <laughs> hey, uh, Colleen.
Another Canadian through to the second round of the French Open. Look who's back. Bianca Andreescu started off slowly in her opening match, but she finished strong. French Open highlights coming up in sports and some breaking CFL news, and it's not good. Love it. Plus this. Hard to believe it was 35 years ago today that Rick Hansen was celebrated at BC Place Stadium for his Man in Motion tour. We'll have that story for you coming up. Squire has the weekend off, so Jay is here with tonight's sports and some bad news for CFL fans. Yeah, we're going to start with that, Colleen. Uh, hello, everybody. No deal in the Canadian Football League. Just days after a new collective bargaining agreement had been agreed upon by the bargaining committee and record by, uh, recommended by player reps, CFL players today voted the deal down. It's not a good look on the players, especially those repping the Maple Leaf, who obviously didn't like the proposed changes to the player ratio that would allow up to three Americans to rotate in with Canadian starters. The BC Lions are scheduled to practice again tomorrow in Kamloops. I have put a call on them. I have chatted with them. But as of right now, they don't even know what's going to happen next. Sorry about that. We all want Canadian football back. Day two at the French Open had only one Canadian on the court, and it was Bianca Andreescu playing her first match in over a month yesterday. Leila Annie Fernandez and Philippe Oje Aliassime winning their first round matches. Vancouver's Rebecca Marino was not so fortunate. Rebecca lost in straight sets to Coco Goff, who won today. Today, former world number four Bianca Andreescu made a triumphant return to the clay court. Easing herself back into action. Dealt a lot of injuries the last year. She was taking on Belgium's Iselin Bonaventure. The Belgian had never played a Grand Slam event prior to today's match. She looked good in the opening set. Just on target. Took it too, 6-3. But Andrescu got rolling after that. She took advantage of the lack of mobility from Bonaventure. Big backhand winner down line. Took, uh, took the second set 7-5. And then she broke Bonaventure in the third set, breaking her in the first, third, and fifth game. She won at 6-love. Andrescu is off to the second round. Denis Shapovalov will play tomorrow. But good to see Bianca Andreescu doing well. How about this? Naima Osaka's appearance at the French Open was a short one. She was beaten today by 27th seed Amanda Enesimova. Of course, Osaka did herself no favor. She double faulted eight times, also had 29 unforced errors. Enesimova taking down Osaka in the third round of the Aussie Open back in January. She wins again today. Wins in the straight set 7-5-6-4 and it sounds like Naomi Osaka is not going to be playing at Wimbledon this year. Dave Rest in the Battle of Alberta. Connor McDavid and company recharging their batteries after dismantling the Flames last night to take a 2-1 series lead. No additional disciplinary action is being handed out to Flames forward Milan Lucic after he bowled over Oilers goalie Mike, uh, Mike Smith. Lucic was kicked out of the game, but today, Luch pleaded his innocence, saying he didn't really mean to do it. Yeah, I definitely didn't. I wasn't trying to hit him, but you can, like you said, I was, I was, I was breaking, and um, yeah, um, like I, 
I think the main thing is, is it's I don't I don't think I really want to get into what I was thinking and what I was trying to do or if he sold it or if he didn't a little bit, but I think I agree with Daryl in the sense if if I actually did charge, we both wouldn't be playing tomorrow. Ruth Luch on that one. All right, looks like the Tampa Bay Lightning are going to sweep the Florida Panthers. They are late in the third period. Colorado and St. Louis just facing off now. World Hockey Championships from Helsinki, Finland. Matty Barzell in Canada looking to rebound after losing to the Swiss on the weekend. Canada was facing the Danes today. Denmark had never beaten Canada in over half a century of international ice hockey action. Matt Barzell, bad giveaway on the power play. Ay, ay, ay. Captain Peter Regan makes it 2-0 for the Danes. But Canada would get it back. Adam Lowry in the faceoff circle. Watch this. He kind of wins the drop, then he ties up the man. And look at Max Comtois. Just picks up the puck and whips it in. That's a good goal. And we had ourselves a 2-1 hockey game, but then Comtois got into some trouble. Lays out Finnish defender Lar- or Danish defender Larson here. They automatically called a five-minute major. They looked at it, and then they give him a match penalty. I broke this down frame by frame, and they actually had their heads collide. He didn't really target the head on this. Hmm. Unfortunately, though, I think hmm. Comtois might get suspended. Denmark adds one more. Matthias Bau with the power play goal. Canada did score a late one, but back-to-back losses for our boys. They'll conclude preliminary round play tomorrow against France. They need a single point to qualify for the quarterfinals. Now driving is Dane Doby. He put it in behind the back shot. He put it in to save his team's season. I just had to show you this. This is Dane Doby's overtime heroics for the San Diego Seals to force a deciding game three against Colorado. We've seen them do this many times over the years with the Coquitlam Adnax. 35-year-old has racked up over 900 career points. And the Vancouver Canadians concluding a successful six-game homestand against Tri-City on the weekend. I'll tell you, they're turning into the walk-off kids. Saturday, they won it on a walk-off home run. Yesterday, it was Davis Schneider delivering the walk-off double down the third base line as the Seas went 4-6 against the Dust Devils. Over 6,000 fans at the Nat yesterday. Seas had the day off. They're going to begin the six-game road trip in Hillsborough against the Hops tomorrow. Wow. Great names in baseball. Great names in... Dust Devils. That was an exciting sportscast. I got to take a breath after that. All good. Uh, Thanks so much, Jay. All right, we've got more coming up, including a look back 35 years ago today. Stay with us. Attention. Need the latest info on budgeting, personal finances, taxes, affordability, or any other money issues in this pricey province? Then get informed. Andrua examines Consumer Matters on Global News. It has been 35 years since Rick Hansen received a hero's welcome at BC Place, home after his around-the-world tour to raise money for spinal cord research. As he reflects on his accomplishment, the man in motion vows to keep making the world a better place. Kristen Robinson has more. It's really never give up because the bar has to continue to be inside higher. As those who made the man in motion journey possible gather to look back on an incredible anniversary, Rick Hansen remains focused on making the world more accessible. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, the man in motion and the man of the hour, Rick Hansen. 35 years ago, a crowd of more than 50,000 packed BC Place to welcome Hansen home. After he rolled to the finish line of his man in motion world tour. 
Hansen pushed through 34 countries in 26 months, covering a grueling 40,000 kilometers in his wheelchair and raising a staggering $26 million for spinal cord research. Having a dream of curing paralysis is a crazy dream that seems impossible. But Hansen, who inspired millions of lives, is not giving up. Part of the dream, groundbreaking research at the Blussen Spinal Cord Center he helped create in Vancouver. It's truly inspiring and I truly believe that that legacy and will be a great contribution to finding a cure. Hansen, dedicated to seeing people with disabilities reach their full potential. His foundation runs a school program inspiring youth to be barrier busters. The ultimate goal, normalizing accessibility in the built environment. With that in mind, we can truly translate the man in motion from a single event to a legacy that will have a global impact to match the vision that I had then and that I still have now. What started as a marathon of change, now a life mission. Kristen Robinson, Global News. And a nicer man you will not meet. Oh, what he's done for, for the world. It's phenomenal. Uh, do something for us now, Yvonne. <laughs> tell, us, tell us there's more sunshine coming. I mean, we've managed to string together a pretty good long weekend. Uh, we'll actually get into a dry start from most areas across Metro Vancouver tomorrow morning. We may see more cloud cover in the mix. The next chance for some rain, like we said, Colleen, yesterday, just focus on the earlier portion of the week as we get in towards the latter half, though. It may be more wet once again and cool, so something to keep in mind if you do have plans for Thursday and leading in towards Friday. Tomorrow morning should be dry for most areas heading out to work and school, and then it's towards the evening that we'll have that chance for some showers that will roll in across the area and a touch cooler, so keep that in mind as well when you're dressing to go outdoors. And I like the fact that it was supposed to be all cloudy on Wednesday, and now there's a little bit of sun, so it just keeps changing. <laughs> we'll take it. That's the news hour for tonight. Thanks for joining us. Hope you have a great night. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.